I'm Michael Moore, and this is an emergency podcast system episode of Rumble. Unbelievable. I could not, honest to God, I did not expect this to happen today. Not that I'm a cynic, or at least not a card-carrying cynic, but rarely is there justice. True and complete justice. And yet today, guilty, 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 guilty on all three charges of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. A jury, it was half and half, six white and six black and people of color. I thought for certain all, all they needed was just one of those white jurors and they'd have a hung jury and they'd have to declare a mistrial. That is not what happened. In fact, the jury um, yesterday at the end of the day uh, was sent off to, if they wanted to, start deliberating. And they did into the night got up early and went at it again today. So they were done by two in the afternoon, two, two thirty Minnesota time. They were done talking about it. They never asked for us to see a single piece of evidence. They didn't have, they said, didn't send a note to the judge. They saw with their own eyes. They believed the evidence. It didn't take much, my friends. Did any of us think it would be over this quick? Even if there were people on the jury who, you know, maybe had some questions or maybe some of the defense sounded like something they would believe in. They could not, they could not say to their eyes, I don't believe you. It's an old Richard Pryor joke. Who are you going to believe? Me or your own lying eyes? (laughs) Because our eyes don't lie. Sometimes you hear things wrong. But when you watch for nine minutes and 29 seconds, a police officer digging his knee into the windpipe of a black man who is handcuffed, It's kind of hard to misread that, isn't it? No matter how supportive of the police you are, no matter how white you are, no matter nothing, the truth is the truth. The trial of Derek Chauvin, the police officer who murdered George Floyd on May 25th of last year, came to an end when the judge asked the jurors had they reached a verdict, and they had reached a unanimous verdict on all three charges. And it was, I mean, they, they, the cameras, they cut out to the protesters and the people in the street in tears and cheering, uh, showing the sort of the same, I think, disbelief that, that I had. One of my friends texted me and said, can you believe, like, how often in our lifetime have we seen justice like this? I mean, real justice, where, where the police would be held responsible for their actions, for their brutality, for their racism, for their white supremacy. When have we seen this? And I, I wrote back and I said, honest to God, I don't have time really to count the number of times I would feel like we had a victory, a real true victory uh, in this country. I don't think I need, I don't think I need one hand, one full hand to count those number of times that that has happened. And yet it happened today. And before we go on, and I'm going to go there, this is not the kind of victory meaning, oh, hey, everybody, job done, work's over. No, far from it. This was and is perhaps just the beginning in this new era of where the police 
And that's really only one part of it. Because the police are only that one part of our criminal justice system, of our mass incarceration system, of our prison industrial complex. Just one part of it. So we're talking about only one murder by the police of one man. <laughs> and yet, and yet, before we discuss the larger implications of this, implications, I hope, for the good, let's just talk to those police here for a minute. Now, of course, as we have to say with our usual disclaimer, not the good police, although that more and more seems like an oxymoron, but, but there are good police. I've called the police. I would say I could think one or two times, maybe the police in my lifetime have saved my life. So don't get me wrong on this. Do we need police? Do we need the kind of policing that we have now? Maybe that's the better question. You know, we didn't have police in this country until 1845. So, so the Revolutionary War began in 1775. The very first police force was in 1845, and that was in New York City. And then you're thinking, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean we had no police? You mean there were no police? Well, right. There were no police departments that cities uh, had and paid for through tax dollars and all that. No, that didn't exist. That did not exist until 70 years after this country was founded. 70 years after we declared our independence. Now, they had these things called constables. They, you know, they were following kind of the British law. The constables weren't armed. Uh, you know, they just sort of, they were there to help. And then they, they had, after constables, they, they had these uh, night watchmen, like neighborhood watch. They'd, Volunteers would walk the streets. Nothing really was, much was going on. And then, and then in the, in the early 1800s, as more immigrants started to come to the country, the white Anglo-Saxon, uh, mostly, you know, British and Dutch people that had come to this country, uh, now other Europeans were coming, Europeans from the more poor countries, and uh, this made these, the original white people uh, concerned about the, uh, the newer white people. So they started to have a little bit more, a little bit more of the night watchmen and a little bit more of, of the constables, but still no organized police force. Now, because there were so many millions of slaves who were here not of their own will, but brought either they or their ancestors in chains, in ships, kidnapped. There were uh, in the South and in slave states uh, a number of what they didn't call them police, but these were armed, they were armed forces essentially, guaranteeing that the slaves would not be able to run away. And if they were, if they did run away, to go out and capture them. Uh, because they, you know, you want to kill them. You were, they were, they were property. They were worth money. Uh, but sometimes they did have to kill them because they, they couldn't catch them. So that existed. We'll call them the slave cops. That existed. And of course, you had our cavalry participating in a uh, uh, centuries-long effort to commit the genocide of our native peoples. But not till, not till 1845 did New York City, becoming the first, decide to form a, a police force. So, so uh, uh, do we need police? Uh, well, we, need, we do need something. We need our safety, and we need to be protected from those who would harm others. And, um, but we most of all need prevention so that crime doesn't happen. Police really exist as a crime scene cleanup force. That's what they do. They, they show up after we call 911, after there's been a robbery, after there's been a rape, after there's been a murder, and then we call the police. They don't do much to prevent that from happening uh, in the first place. So we then go about our business with our system where we try to capture the criminal, um, maybe put the criminal 
uh, on trial, uh, maybe just lock them up for a long time without a trial. And, uh, and then if they're found guilty, then we lock them up um, in a very um, sad and sick place, throw the key away essentially, and think that we're safe again. So police, I wanna to talk to you for a minute because something happened today that's never happened before. And it happened in a trial where the police testified against the police. It happened when witnesses standing on the curb, in, including a city firefighter for the city of Minneapolis called, as she put it, the police on the police. I called the police to report the police because they were killing this man on this curb. Even the 911 operator who went and tried to see if there was a police camera on that corner, and there was, she was watching it herself at 911 headquarters. And while she could, it was a, it was a distant camera. She couldn't see George Floyd's face, but she saw that the police were doing something really weird and wrong and not right. And she called the head of that precinct of these cops to say, there's something bad going on. So the police didn't have their backup, not from their 911 officers, not from the fire department woman, and not from the children who stood there on the curb. Children as young as nine, teenagers, mostly teenage girls, a couple of older black men, and one of those teenage girls, Darnella Frazier, took out her phone and hit record. That one action changed everything. Had she not done that, had the others not started to do their own filming of this incident. Well, what happened today may not have happened, but once there was actual uncut, unedited footage of this incident, America and the world could not turn away. And Darnella Frazier stood there. She held her hand so steady on that camera. Chauvin kept looking up at her with his knee on George Floyd's neck in the process of killing him. She, he just kept looking right into her lens, looking straight at her like, you're next. And she would not put the camera down. And neither would the other kids. Brave, brave acts. And it would doom him and those other cops who are not on trial yet, but they will be on trial. It's, it's got to frustrate the police. They're not now only, they're forced to wear their own body cams. They are now being filmed by all the rest of us because we are all documentary filmmakers now. We all have a camera in our pocket. Somebody, I think Steve Jobs, thought it would be cool to put a camera on the phone. And that decision has doomed every racist, abusive cop in this country. Because now, and I'm talking to you, police officers of America. You can't get away with shit. You can't get away with murder, literally, any longer. I'm, I'm sure you think you probably still can. I'm sure you will try. I'm sure you'll be more aware of the camera from now on. You'll try to take your victim into a dark alley or into the back of a police car, someplace where there would be no camera. Big Brother, 1984, warned us that all these cameras were going to be bad for the rest of us. And, and frankly, they probably will be at some point, just to 
just to put a fine point on this, but, but for right now, for right now, big brother is going to do in the law enforcement officers of big brother, the police force that has so abused the black and brown community of this country. Now, their time is up. And so if you are one of these officers, one of these racists, one of these white supremacists, one of these people who pull black people over for no goddamn reason, who have abused black and brown people for decades upon decades upon decades, the fact that this little camera in the cell phone is your undoing. Oh, thank God for that. I know you're mad at me listening to this. And again, for those of you who have really helped us, thank you. Keep doing that, please. You're not paid enough. And props to all of you. But to the rest of you, and by the way, you aren't just one or two bad apples. <laughs> Those days are gone. We no longer think that or believe that. The vast, vast numbers of you who should not be police, who should not be carrying a gun or a badge. Boy, I swear to God, if I, if, if I were president or if I were the mayor of any city... I would want to fix this very quickly. You know, kind of like they do when they turn a, a nice public school into a charter school and the charter school gets to essentially ask for the resignation of every teacher. You know how this goes, right? Yeah, you all got to turn your resignations in and then we, a board, a committee of us, will decide who's going to be best for the charter school. Well, that's what we need to do with the police. You all need to turn in your resignations. The good ones of you uh, we will rehire you probably pretty quickly after you go through, though, a committee, a vetting force, a group of psychologists, people that will determine, that will tell us whether or not just how racist you are, just how smart you are, what kind of anger and belligerency is in you? You know, do we... Do we ever, when we're hiring police, ever call up the ex-girlfriend, the ex-wife? Any woman in any cop's life needs to be contacted because we'll start right there with acts of personal violence happen to women from men. And if some of those men want to be cops, I think we need to know just who they've hit in their life that should be investigated they need to go through that and, and look and if they are a good cop and they're not a violent cop and they're not violent to people in their personal lives and they're not racist or i should say hmm, because that'll be hard hiring any white cops because white people we all everybody has this we were raised a certain way sadly uh, in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our white life. Nonetheless, if it means that a minority of the police force is white, so be it. Because the racist can't carry a gun. That's our rule in the new America. You're racist, you don't get a badge. You don't get a gun. You have to go work out your racism someplace else. And the rest of us, collectively as your peer group will hopefully take care and help you with your sickness. But you can't be a cop and you can't be in the army, the Navy, the Marines or the Air Force either. Sorry. You can't be in any position where you hold violence in your hands. Your ability to end a human life cannot be biased by your hatred of people whose skin color isn't yours, whose religion isn't yours. I'm sorry. That's just got to be the bottom line 
Rule number one. And then we need to go out and recruit police officers who aren't this way. You cannot be a police officer unless you have a college education. How about if we start with that? You have to tell us the last 10 books you've read. If you're not educated and if you're not smart, if you don't have an open mind, if you haven't had experience with what is called the liberal arts, I don't mean liberal as you know when I say that by liberal versus conservative. I just mean you've had some exposure to the world and to thinking, to critical thinking, to civics, to democracy, to human rights, all those things were coming for you. I'm not kidding around. The people in the streets tonight, tomorrow night, next month, next year, the people at the voting booth a year from this November, we're voting on this issue. And we're going to vote to get rid of you as a cop. In fact, hopefully the smarter cities and the smarter states, hopefully our Congress with the George Floyd uh, Police Act that sits there in front of them, already passed by the House, waiting for Mitch McConnell and the Senate to do the right thing. We're going to take care of a lot of this because we have to completely undo what we call policing. It's not that we need a police force anymore. We need, we need to care for the public safety. And part of the public safety has to do with mental health, caring about the mental health of the people in our neighborhoods. Public safety has to do with making sure children are being fed, that nobody is starving, that everybody has a roof over their head. That's public safety. That's the public safety we need that no woman needs to be afraid to walk outside the house or the apartment at night and go for a walk anywhere she goddamn well pleases and not have to worry about anything happening to her. That's public safety. And when she seeks help from the public safety department in every city, because the person that she is with or used to be with is friggin' crazy and threatening her. She has a right to live. And the man threatening her, the man threatening her, the public safety officials will deal with him. That's what we need. We need a whole rethinking of what we call public safety, and that's what we need to call it. And we need to have this public safety force. Yes, it has to have those people who would harm others, who would commit acts of violence, who would harm children. Yes, they need to be taken and put someplace so that the rest of us are safe. Okay, but that is a small, small piece of what we're talking about here. Because the public safety department of every city needs to have a mental health unit. It needs to have a family dispute unit. It, it needs to have um, uh, anger management people. I mean, and you know the list. All the things the cops are called for that they're not really able to deal with. They're not alcoholism experts. They are not drug uh, counseling experts. Let's not put that on them. But part of the new public safety department will have those people and we'll know which ones to call for assistance. That's how it's got to change. But those of you, the Derek Chauvin's out there, God, how many of you have hurt black people in your career, have falsely held them, arrested them, beaten them, shoved them to the ground, humiliated them in front of their friends and neighbors, followed them around, stalked them, hunted them. You know who you are. And let me tell you, there's thousands of you. Some of you are retired. Some of you are still in the force. All of you 
all of you are going to be stopped. When I heard the story on MSNBC last week saying that upwards to 20% of the terrorists who attacked our Capitol on January 6th were either former cops, current cops, on duty, off duty, police officers in that mob attacking the Capitol. Police, 20% of what we saw. The people we pay to protect us, trying to bring down our democracy on a day when they were trying to count the votes from the November election. They wanted to stop that. Is there a greater crime, obviously, other than maybe the crime of murder? Is there a greater crime than police officers with weapons attacking our capital to stop our votes from being counted, to stop our democracy from continuing. I mean, you know, during our Revolutionary War, when there were those who did things like that or those who, who uh, like in uh, Chauvin's case, um, killed another one of the, uh, someone who was an American, a colonist. If you were to commit an act of murder against essentially one of your own that were fighting the British, should read, you should read the history of our revolution. Let's just say there were no trials. You were taken. You know, they didn't have videotaped them, but they had their own eyeballs and if they saw you do this, you were taken and shot. Yes, by George Washington's generals, colonels, whatever, you were taken, you would be executed by firing squad or you would be put a, a rope around your neck and hung over a tree. You, you an officer, yes, you're an officer. Well, wait a minute, you're fighting the revolution. You can't do this to me. I'm fighting the British. Yeah, but you just killed one of our own. but he was black. Yeah, but he was actually in the army fighting the British with us and you killed him. And now you have about a half a minute to live. And that's how we're going to deal with you. Whoa. Okay, I'm not in favor of that. <laughs> I'm just saying that um, Derek Chauvin you got, a, you got a month or so here of a trial. Lots of your own evidence. You had your defense. You have lots of cops around the country supporting you. And that's how it should be. You are innocent until proven guilty. Even if the guilt is so obvious and on a half a dozen teenagers' phones filmed, you still had your right to your day in court and you got it. And the verdict came in. But I want to say this, my friends. This is not, for me at least, uh, a night to celebrate. I know, I know why some people are celebrating, and I'm, I'm, that is your right. And uh, I'm, I'm saying that because obviously I'm white, and I have not had to suffer through what the black community has had to suffer through. And so uh, um, um, this moment of joy that there was justice in this case Case isn't over yet. There's three other cops to go, but um, but I want to say, I want to say, I guess I want to say what everybody else is saying that this is just the beginning, and I don't mean um, let's let's get all let's get as many cops as we can arrested who've done harmful things to black people, brown people. I'm, I'm I am for that, by the way, but. Um, This was a murder of a man that we dealt with today, a man by the name of George Floyd. And um, seeing his family today, hearing them speak afterwards, so powerful. Seeing Joe Biden and 
Kamala Harris, get on the phone with the family out in the quarter of the of the hallway in the courtroom. The, 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 not even, I mean, this isn't, you know, they weren't holding some speech or whatever. They just, they got on a little speaker phone on one of those phones that hold a camera and wanted to just speak to the Floyd family. Uh, there were no cameras on, you know, the president doing this or no. The, the people took out the people in Floyd's family and, and their lawyer, they took out, they all took out their cell phones and hit record because this was the president of the United States calling. So there's footage of this and there's audio of it. And it was so powerful to hear Biden share his feelings with them. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Even the best politicians, what, to, to call the family of a dead black man killed by, by the government's police and offer not just their condolences at this point, but to offer their joy at this verdict. Wow, if you have a chance, if I can find it, I'll put it on this page here. That was just, that was a moment, my friends. And yes, Biden spoke later to the cameras in the White House, and so did uh, Vice President Harris. But, but we saw them speak to the Floyd family in a way I don't know if it was intended for us to see this, but there it was. And the family said to him, Mr. President, we have to pass that law in the Senate. This is what's on their minds. They've lost their family member. Yes, they've had this great victory today, but they were moving forward. And that's what we all need to do. This was not just about the murder of this one man. Because we have to talk about the other murders that take place in the name of the state, in the name of each of us. There's a constant murder of black people in this country, of poor people in this country. What about the economic murder that takes place every single day by keeping millions of Americans in poverty? And every study, the stats are there, has shown the poorer you are, the blacker and browner you are, you have a better chance of dying than white people. You will not live as long as white people. You will die as a result of an economic system that is unjust, it's unfair, and it's not democratic. It is set up to use the poorest of the people to do the shittiest work and then have them die before we do. What about that murder? Are we going to address that? What about education murder? Our educational system creates the murder of black and brown people because their schools are so crappy, they don't get to then grow up and get the good jobs, better health care, all that stuff that goes along when you have a better education. Every single statistic shows the better the education, the longer you live. So by forcing people to die before their time, that is a version of murder. And we are killing black and brown and poor white people through our education system, their system in their towns, in their rural areas or whatever, where it sucks so bad, they are doomed to a life of poverty, of poor health care. How about the murder of not having a roof over your head? I mean, just ask, just curious. Uh, what do you think the life expectancy is of homeless people, you know, versus those of us who have that roof and have a little heat in the winter and the ability to cool down in the summer? What do you think the chances are that those of us who have that roof are going to live longer? Because if we get to live longer and they don't, and they're Americans supposedly equal, Americans, because they're Americans. That's a form of murder, too. 
In fact, I would say that this entire way that we have structured the economy, where we allow a few people, the top 1%, let's say there's 10 seats at the table, so they get 80 to 90% of the chairs at the table, then they get 80 to 90% of the food, the wealth, whatever, and, and the other 10 to 20% are left to fight for the crumbs. And we call that democracy. It's never been democracy. It's not fair. Democracy is about we all get a say in this. And it doesn't mean just who gets to be president. We don't even have democracy with that, as we know, because of the Electoral College and all this other stuff that goes on. But in our economy, we don't have it. In our schools, we don't have it. This is the fight. If we want to honor George Floyd and all the other African-Americans who had to suffer, of all the Latino people who've had to suffer trying to come into this country and being met with such abuse, if we want to honor them, if we want to apologize to them, if we want to create some form of reparation to them, then maybe we could start by having a real democracy where everyone's treated the same, everybody gets a seat at the table, everybody has a slice of the pie. How about that? How about that? If all this becomes is just, we get to throw uh, Derek Chauvin in, in prison, and his, his, his three buddies who participated in the murder. Are you going to feel that we've accomplished something? I mean, yes, we have accomplished something. Justice was done in regards to this murder. But if we want real justice, we're going to have to work even harder for it. Those of you who are in the streets tonight, I'm so glad you're there. Yes, nonviolence, of course. Not, don't hurt anybody. But boy, over these last few days, to watch America have to put plywood all over itself. City upon city upon city, boarding up every window, starting with every police station in America that was in any kind of an urban area, any, any police station that was within as the way they saw it, within a few miles of black or brown people. They boarded up all the police stations. They boarded, all, they boarded up all the criminal justice buildings in America that were within blocks or miles of black people. That's how afraid they were. That's how wrong they knew this country was and has been. That we would even allow allow anybody resembling a Derek Chauvin to wear a badge, to have the authority to arrest people, to carry a gun. We knew we'd done wrong. And that's why department stores, all, ki all kinds of stores all over this country boarded up this weekend, boarded up today. There's, there's the answer right there. There's the admission of guilt. I watched them putting up the plywood on TV on the building of the Minneapolis Star Tribune, the daily paper of Minneapolis, had to put plywood over their windows of their building. What does that say? We feared any other verdict, didn't we? If they come back with not guilty, if they come back with a hung jury, one white person holding up the whole thing, we knew what was going to happen. And yet to think that it won't happen still is such a misreading of the moment. The poor of this country have had it. 
The people that have had to occupy the lowest rungs of the economic ladder have had it. Black people have had it. Brown people have had it. Asian Americans have had it. They've all had it. And they're not going to take it anymore. So what do we do, white folks? Just leave the plywood up? Because it's coming. Because they want justice. Not just justice for George Floyd. They want true justice in this country. They want a seat at the table. We have a decision to make. We either need to hire more Derek Chauvin's to keep them all in their place. And I'm assuming most people listening to this podcast are not in favor of that idea, but we know how many millions of Americans probably are. We can do that or we can go another route. And we can stop all the killing that a poor education gives black and brown Americans. And we, we can stop all the killing that not having a home gives you, not having food gives you. We can do all that. We can just decide to do it right now. We can make sure we have universal health care for everyone. Just like when you all are getting your shots right now, or if you've already got your, your COVID shot, you never whipped out a wallet, did you? You didn't have to turn over a credit card. You didn't have to show a Blue Cross card. You just, you just had to give them your name and your birthday, and you got a free shot. Why? Because we're trying to save the country. Because over half a million people are dead. That's why we want to live. So yeah, all of a sudden we want to live. Let's do socialism. Everybody gets a socialist needle in their arm so they can survive. Free, free healthcare. Free healthcare should be every day of every year for every American because it's a human right and it's necessary to protect and to serve. Darnella Frazier, as one documentary filmmaker to another, I thank you and I bless you. You have made the most important film of our time. Nine minutes and 29 seconds. Thank you. It took true courage to do that. I hope you know that you are loved by millions around the world for having the courage to film that. Thank you. I hope I get the honor of working with you someday. You never, ever let the frame. You kept good and evil in the same frame. In the same frame, with a steady hand, we, the world, got to see the face of evil right there on the face of Derek Chauvin. That look. And we got to see the face of good the good man who wasn't supposed to die that day. And sadly, we got to see his good life snuffed out of him. We watched him take his last breath. And even after he was dead, the cop kept the knee pressing down into the neck for another three plus minutes. Even after the ambulance arrived, and the EMT people got out to take the body into the ambulance. He wouldn't, he wouldn't let up. He, you could see his knee going deeper into the neck of a dead man. The sickness and the depravity of that action. It's like, it's like somebody who shoots somebody. And after killing them, they walk over to the body and they pump another 30 bullets into the dead body. That's what Derek Chauvin did. That's what he was found guilty of today. And that is our call, our call to action 
to end this. Not just the police shootings, not just the disgusting and immoral incarceration system that we have, so-called criminal justice. It's about taking our white knee off the neck of black and brown America so that they can go to the same good schools that we went to, so that they can live in a nice home with heat on in the winter, so they can see a doctor any damn time they feel sick. That is our responsibility to act now. That is the only way we can honor George Floyd now because we can't bring him back to life. All of us, all of us must get active. If you're already active, stay active. Everybody else, join them. Do whatever we need to do to get these laws passed, to protest in the streets. My friends, everybody, everybody who went out into the streets after last May and stayed in the streets, everything you did, that made this happen. Today would not have happened had you not done that. You, you made them afraid that the whole damn system could come crashing down if they didn't do something about this horrific murder. You are to be honored. And you and all of us have to keep doing that. If we do that, my friends, we will have a better country. We will live in a better world. We'll think about the murdering that we do, how we invade other countries and kill their people. How, how we, we, the industrial world, have caused the destruction of this planet because we want more, more, more. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Make it, make it, build it. We have done this to the earth. We. And we are murdering people by doing that. This is on us. This is on us. This day for the last 22 years for me, April 20th has meant the day that those kids and that teacher were killed at Columbine High School on this day. For a moment today, I felt maybe even, maybe even their deaths weren't in vain. Maybe we've had a chance to turn a corner here to be a better people. To the white supremacists and those who continue to benefit from their white privilege and are enjoying it still. To the police across the country who belong to these white supremacist groups. To the members of our military who joined in the uprising there on January 6th, to those of you who believe in a 21st century of white power, well, this is your day. April 20th, the birthday of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, this is the day. 132 years ago today, he was born. And the people who carry on his work, his belief system, that there is a master race, that one color is better than another color. Well, for a brief moment today, you got your comeuppance. The people, the jury spoke. This is not the country the majority of us now want to live in and we will refuse to live in it, and we will stop your behavior should you choose to cause harm to others. That's our commitment. We are a nonviolent people. We will stop you with nonviolence. We will stop you 
at the ballot box. We are the vast majority now of this country. This is good news, my friends. Now we have to use it. Now we have to make this what we think it could be and should be. I'm sorry, Mr. Floyd. I'm sorry. You should be celebrating this with us today. <laughs> that you had to die for people to come to some sort of sense. It's not right. It wasn't right. I'm sorry I never got to meet you. Someday, maybe. I'll never forget you, though. And I'll never forget all the people who stood for you in this last year. We will continue this work. And we will see to it that there are no more deaths of the wonderful and beautiful George Floyds in this country. Take care, everyone. This has been an emergency podcast system episode of Rumble. And I'm Michael Moore. Much love to you all. <laughs>